Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And yet again, it is no surprise because it's not a tagline. It is our reality. We have a stellar panel again. Of course, let me just fill you all in. After nine plus years, Don Adelson finally appeared in a Tallahassee courtroom. That is a city she wanted her grandchildren to flee so badly. Well, she's stuck up there after charges were levied against her, including murder and conspiracy to commit murder in the execution-style death and killing of her ex-son-in-law, FSU law professor Dan Markell. Charlie Adelson was also uh, convicted and sentenced to life without parole. And now, uh, now that Charlie's behind bars, a lot of his jailhouse calls have been released. And the woman who's been all over this, she is a true crime queen, Gigi McKelvey, or maybe I should call her the true crime rock star. <laughs> That's what everyone knows her as. She was all over the Alec Murdoch trial for law and crime and News Nation. 50-plus podcasts on uh, the whole Lori Vallow Daybell saga out there in Idaho and Arizona and everywhere that uh, that has tentacles. And now she is into the Dan Markell murder uh, story, and she is posting all the audio from Charlie's Jailhouse Calls, and she has shared that with us. So thank you to Gigi McKelvey for uh, sharing some of that really valuable content. Then, of course, you know, in the red, bottom right-hand corner on your screen, Court TV anchor, Julie Grant. She's an award-winning journalist. She's also a licensed attorney, a former prosecutor, a trial expert. Her Court TV colleagues call her the professor because she knows it all, and she hosts Court TV every morning. And uh, make sure you check her out. And a very sweet person on top of it all. And then we've got Dr. John Delatore, a man of uh, few words, unless he's talking psychology, but nevertheless, also a very kind gentleman. He is a licensed psychologist in Texas, Arizona, and New York State. He needs to add Florida into the mix because that's where a lot of crazy happens. He's also obviously a uh, psychological analyst for TV News. And uh, he says his favorite show by far is STS. Uh, he's told me that many times before. He also completed basic training as a negotiator and a mediator. So uh, I guess he could talk someone off the ledge, literally and figuratively. Um, this is an interesting comment from Raul Thomas, being that we're about to dig into all this. A friend of the show, Charlie wrote his own audio book about people from Tallahassee. I don't think he needs to focus on Wendy's book any longer. We're going to get into sound about that. Thanks to STS Nation. This week, we reached and surpassed 90,000 subs uh, as we continue to move northward. So thank you. Could not do it without you. Uh, appreciate the support. You can uh, support us. Continue to do that on Patreon and or YouTube. Audio, if you're in the car, I beseech you, listen to us on audio because it really helps us in terms of uh, you know building the program, getting the word out there, and those five-star uh, uh, audio reviews help us immensely. Tonight, big event in Sunrise, Florida. I'm getting word it is sold out. Ruth Markell is going to be the keynote speaker, along with Dave Arenberg, the Florida State Attorney, and Dennis Murphy of Dateline NBC. He'll be there. And yours truly, 
moderating. And right now, behind the scenes, the COE is putting together what we call news, a package, a little story to run ahead of uh, tonight's events uh, when we introduce Ruth. Look at this. Julie Grant is the best. Someone else told me that they only listen uh, in the car. I finally made it to a live at the beginning. Welcome. This is it. This is what makes me happy right here. Alita De Bruin. I like that name. I have STS YouTube, but if you can try to have Spotify or Apple or any of the audio platforms, if you're in the car, shouldn't be watching the screen anyway. Uh, KO Las Vegas. I love that name because I'm a huge fight fan. As you can tell, afternoons a little different than the evening shows, a little more uh, interactive, a little more fun, a little more low key. So we will have a good time. It will be the fastest, I don't know, hour and 15 to hour and a half uh, of your life right now, the fastest. Uh, my first STS comment ever. Greetings from beautiful Las Vegas. I love STS. And I love that your first comment was to tell us it was your first comment instead of an actual comment, which is amazing. So I appreciate that. Linda Lou says, sold out. Woohoo. So, Gigi McKelvey, to you. Um, first of all, what's it been like compiling this audio? And secondly, I guess, what has stood out to you? Any kind of pattern or, uh, you know, remarks that are being consistently made throughout uh, these many hours that, by the way, Gigi has them all posted on her YouTube channel, Pretty Lies and Alibis. So please support Gigi. But what what what's the process been like, G? Man, these people have infiltrated my dreams, Joel. I go to sleep thinking I'm a good little eight hour piece. Uh, -uh. Don and Charlie front and center like every <laughs> night. Yeah, it's been, it's been it's a process, you know, because the audio came to me very clear very cleaned up, but just feeding them in, getting the subtitles and getting the graphics on. I've kind of just given up on making the graphics pretty at this point because there's so many, but it's just been interesting. I'm very new to this case. I started just a few weeks ago doing a deep dive from day one because a lot of my listeners didn't know the whole story. So it's been kind of full circle to get these calls and just hear, my gosh, I mean, D Donna and, and Charlie are so toxically codependent. It is, it blows my mind. He repeats things over and over. And every time she's just validating for you, you're a victim. And, but what surprised me the most was how much they bashed Wendy. Didn't see that coming. So yeah, yeah that was the biggest surprise to me, really. And we're going to get into some of the Wendy bashing today. Uh, Julie Grant, you've been covering this in depth as well at Accord TV. What do you think it is that has... Uh, everyone's so fascinated about this case. I was telling people last week in the chat, we literally had people from India, Gambia, uh, Vietnam, ironically, because that's where uh, Donna was trying to flee to. I mean, literally all over the world. What do you think it is about this particular case that is, uh, you know, exacted that, that amount of attention from people worldwide? Uh, Joel, thanks for having me. It is the fascinating one. I think what's been interesting is uh, it's so stunning that you have this victim who by all accounts, anybody you talk to uh, who's a friend of his, family member, uh, a mentee, they all say that, that Danny Markell was a great guy. And he's brutally killed at his own house, in his own driveway, a, a total ambush, unsuspecting. And you hear this story and it comes out kind of backwards. It's almost like this is a movie playing out kind of like Quentin Tarantino style, where we're getting the backwards storytelling with the hitman taken, you know, the hitmen rather taken to trial first. Catherine McBanawa, the arranger. 
than Charlie Adelson, you know, the procurer. It's like we're taking backward step. It's almost like I said, it's like we're climbing up this criminal liability tree to get to the top. And at the very top, these rich Adelsons who I think thought they were untouchable. I think they thought they didn't have to get their hands dirty and actually do a murder. I don't think any of them have the guts to actually do a murder. Um, I think they're cowardly and have used their money to get where they are in life. And here I think they thought, oh, we can just remove ourselves and take care of this problem. This wonderful guy who's truly making the world a better place by taking him out because he was a way of sinister. Uh, and I think more Adelsons are getting arrested, Joel. Mm. Uh, I would have to agree with that. Which ones? That's the question. The only two left are uh, Harvey and Wendy. So we'll see. But uh, Paul Schoenbaum, Joel, how did you build such a great podcast in one year? We only started uh, with true crime in earnest last November, sadly, with the quadruple murders that we're uh, returning to this Friday with Phil and Scott in uh, Moscow, uh, Moscow, Idaho. By the way, Papa Bear is in the chat, a friend of the show who lives in Moscow, Idaho. But the answer to your question is, like everything in my life, by accident. Um, I was bored during COVID a few you know, months maybe eight, nine months before that, uh, I pitched uh, doing a podcast to my dear, beloved mother, Carm, because uh, she's, she's an interesting character, and then it morphed into this, and uh, somehow more than three people listened to it. So I don't know how, but it happens. So I'm happy to see that. Uh, T. Cancella uh, here. Wendy is lurking in the chat and her defense team. I've heard that uh, her defense attorney is periodically in here. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, John De La Torre, do you think most people who commit these crimes who are still out on the uh, on the on the other side free, are they listening to find out what's going on in their cases? We found out that Charlie Adelson, I had Preston Scott on yesterday. He's a radio morning show host on FM radio and iHeartMedia in Tallahassee. On the calls, you hear him talking about Preston. Uh, that's from inside jail. But do you think that the uh, Adelsons who are free are listening to different podcasts to see what's going on with uh, the whole saga? I do. Probably not. I, I don't know that they start lurking in the chat or something like that. But I, I, I would imagine that they Google their names fairly often. I would imagine that they Google their names in YouTube uh, fairly often to try to get get the clips right to hear what other people have been saying. So, yeah, I could I could see some that are concerned about how they are appearing. Remember, appearance, I think, is a very big thing when it comes to the Adelson. So uh, those that are concerned about how they are appearing in public, I think, are spending a lot of time concerned that they're not appearing all that well. Mm. Um, Gigi, we're literally talking about this just before we went on air and you're from the South. Was Charlie insulting Tallahassee? And we're going to play some sound in a little bit because they didn't buy his BS story or insulting Florida because uh, because they would have, I guess. Um, but I think he, they're meaning North Florida. What were, you, what were you telling me? He'd get his ass kicked for uh, making fun of these Southerners, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd, he'd get a throat punch for making fun of y'all. And it's, it's a really bad uh, impersonation, by the way. But yeah, I mean, it's insulting. Look, people in the South give you the shirt off their back. I mean, it's just, a, it is a different breed of people down here. So when people make fun of those of us that live in the South, it's not taken very well. He wouldn't come in the middle of where I live and say that without a uh, consequence for sure. Let's go back to the psychologist. So I got a, um, an, a tweet just before going on the show that says, I think Charlie Adelson is going to flip soon. He knows the evidence is mounting against Wendy, his sister, and she will likely be charged anyway, as Julie just pointed out. 
She hung him out to dry. She did mention his, I'm filling in some gaps here. She mentioned his name in the uh, initial police interrogation. Uh, the state could offer him a better facility slash possibility of parole in 20 to 30 years. John Delatore, this family is literally crumbling uh, before our eyes. That's the headline I think I wrote for this. Do you think there's a chance that Charlie and or Donna are going to turn on the beloved daughter slash sister? I think if I had to put money down, I think it would probably be Donna that flips first. I, I, mm. If 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 we're to assume that Charlie actually did some of this under the guise that he's a a, a decent older brother, right? Even if one percent of that is true, I don't. I think he would have done it a lot sooner. Um, I, I don't know that he does it now. I think. Donna probably sees Charlie in prison and probably dislikes that he's in prison so much so that she's willing to throw Wendy under the bus because she's because Donna's the one coming up and 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 hoping that Charlie gets something out of it. So I think if I had to put money, I think it's Donna that does. it. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of people have been saying. Uh, Julie Grant, Brady Starr brings up a point that a lot of people have mentioned. I have not heard this utterance from Charlie. I am innocent. Help me find the people who hired the shooters. He never says that. If I was behind bars, and you know I talk to my mom a lot, mm -hmm. and I was innocent, I'd be screaming and crying, saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I never did this. Why am I here? Why am I here? He's never said that. What do you make of it? That's right. I think Brady's comment is brilliant. I love it. And one of the trial advocate, advocacy techniques uh, that I, I teach when I have time to teach it is omissions. You got to pay attention not only to what somebody is saying and what they're admitting, but also focus in on what they're not saying. And Brady's absolutely right. He's not saying, it's not me and we've got to find the real killers here. No, no, he's not saying anything like that. Uh, he just still uh, proclaimed his innocence even at the time of sentencing, which was a bunch of hogwash. And so even Wendy, when we think about, you know, what she's not saying, going back to, I just watched her interview with police the day that Danny Markell was shot and killed. And when the detective asks her, hey, Wendy, we need to get Danny's parents' contact information from you because they're his next of kin. We need to notify them. And she says, they're going to think that I did it. Mm -hmm. Well, now, why in the world would they think that? And she doesn't elaborate mm -hmm. any further. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's one of those things. we got to pay attention to what's said and what's not said and, and mm -hmm. what's implied. And so I like what Brady is saying, where he's going here. Um, the Adelsons, Wendy, Charlie, Don, they do a lot of talking. And mm -hmm. all this talking is really going to help, I think, the state build its case against both Wendy and Harvey. Sure. Interesting. That's coming from uh, Core TV anchor and a lawyer, Michelle B. We love Julie here in the UK, all over the world. Her opening statements have me uh, fist pumping the air. Love that. Um, Fleur Delis, I'm actually taking my children and my wife to Montreal for a little ice cold weather since we live in Miami, which I am not looking forward to, but the kids are. The Fleur Delis <laughs> is the symbol of Montreal. The great UFC fighter, George St. Pierre, has a Fleur de Lis tattooed on his calf. And he's uh, maybe the most famous guy from Montreal. By the way, is it a Montrealian? Someone let me know. What do you call someone from Montreal? Amanda the Yahoo uh, super sticker. Thank you so much. Um, let's get right into the tapes. Uh, last couple of days, I've been talking too much. But this is, um, there's sort, look at this. I subscribed to Gigi. We just had that up. Um, so there's kind of a theme that we have seen, which is, 
Charlie, and we pulled a few pieces, but I'm only going to play one where Charlie's really harping here on the statistical chances of Wendy driving by Trescott. That's where they, Dan Markell lived the day of the murder. She, she goes by the house and people say it's no coincidence, but on this call, and by the way, uh, they know they're being recorded, at least on this call. Uh, so it's interesting to keep that in mind. But if you listen, they're just talking about, oh, what a coincidence. So let's listen together, then we'll break it down. Here we go. She has to know how else would she be there. And that's what the jury listens to. And they go, I mean, to me, does that make sense? I mean, uh, if I want a jury, yeah. She's showing up, isn't she? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy, fucking crazy. But think about it. What are, the, what are the statistical chances of her leaving her house and driving by that scene on that date at that time and not being involved? Yeah, I mean, it's insane. It, it, it is. It's absolutely crazy. It's crazy. But it's true. It's what happened. Yeah, but that's what it is. It's what happened, but I'm asking, what are the chances that her husband oh. was just murdered? She's, she's leaving her house and driving by the crime scene, but has no knowledge of anything going on. And they made a big deal, like, well, why didn't she call daycare? Why would she call daycare? She called a tree cell. That's exactly because she, it used to happen all the time. Because it happens summer storms and the trees fall, and like, she just was like, on and on, like, they didn't think anything of it. They thought a tree fell and they were cornering it off and they cut the tree and opened up the road and went over. Gigi, what are the statistical chances? Uh, you know, she thought a tree fell. Suddenly there's a whole alibi set in place. Uh, none of the evidence, none of the fact that there was, you know, there was payments made uh, and nine million other things that she was basically trying to set up her boyfriend, Jeff Lacasse. Uh, you know, to appear like he could have been uh, the killer here, which a lot of people think is another huge, uh, obvious red flag. But what do you make of this, that there's not just this call, but multiple calls like this where Charlie is talking to Donna and basically talking about, hey, what are the chances that this would happen? Yeah. And, and to further that, he also says several times in other calls that there are several other liquor stores closer to where she was. So she's going out of her way. And the other thing to me as a mother, knowing that Dan had the kids that morning, even if a tree fell, I'm going to be calling somebody to make sure that tree is not on the house that had my kids in it or call the daycare and make sure are, are my kids there? Are they safe? Because that didn't happen. That's a huge red flag for me. It kind of makes you think, did she know what had happened? So therefore, she didn't need to find out what happened. That's, that's what sticks out to me the most about that topic there. Uh, Julie, what do you make of that call? Uh, a lot of coincidences, at least in Charlie Adelson's life, that he can't believe basically put him where he is right now. Right, Joel. I think these two are mad at Wendy and they're implicating her. These people are a lot of things, a lot of things that are not good, but they're not stupid. And they know they're being recorded. You emphasize that point on any jail call. It's a nice, loud recording as soon as you get on that makes you aware that, you know, it is being recorded. And, and they know from Charlie's trial, I mean, all the recordings are what got him. We know that. All of the, the wiretap evidence, that was what nailed him. 
So this is, to me, it's purposeful. It's designed. I think they're mad as heck at her because she's been distant. And, and in these calls, you'll hear it. You know, she uh, apparently is relying on the advice of her lawyer. And it's good advice not to talk to her family, not to say anything. And they're mad, I think, because she was at the center of all this. I, I am convinced that she was part of this conspiracy. I'm convinced that Harvey was too. Um, I'm curious why these prosecutors haven't charged either of them yet. Some offices that are more aggressive might have already moved forward. Um, I applaud these prosecutors for doing the job. They are. Uh, but I think that they're mad as heck because these two got caught and Wendy didn't. So they want to loop her in to the jail life as well. I'm 100 percent with you. Uh, being the youngest child and having a mother, I uh, know how to press her buttons. I'm convinced that Wendy was pressing uh, Donna's buttons early on. There's a famous optical illusion. You guys probably know it when I describe it. If you look at it one way, it looks like a nude woman. You look at it another way, it looks like an old lady with a big nose. Well, this comment right here, uh, John Delatore, I can't tell if he's making the point for himself or making it against Wendy. That's really interesting. I never looked at it that way because is he throwing her under the bus? What do you make of the way he's uh, discussing it all? Yeah, and my answer is going to also seem sort of ambivalent as to as to I don't really know because Julie and I were actually having this conversation yesterday morning and I had mentioned uh, then that I wasn't quite sure why Wendy in her police uh, interview video was saying that she drives by the house so often. So to answer Charlie's question about the statistical probability that she would be driving in front of that house and, and it be a crime scene, uh, it's actually pretty high. I mean, Wendy has already said that this is a behavior that she's done a lot. And I don't know why. Like, like it is very curious to me. Why would you drive in front of a house that you know has so many hurtful memories. And she would, Wendy's response to that was something like, well, on good days, like I'll make sure to do it. And then on other days when I'm feeling upset, I would, I would take another, well, why not just take other, the other way? I mean, I, nothing about this really seems to make sense. And so whenever I, I'm, I'm, I'm faced with something where I feel confused, I know someone's lying. Right. When when I feel confused, when I'm interacting in a conversation, uh, I know someone has just lied to me. And I, it, it's hard to tell because I think Charlie is I, I think Charlie is really trying to get across. How did this all uh, unfold in front of me? And I think Donna is trying to get him to a place where because it's all Wendy's fault. Wendy ruined the whole plan. Wendy's ruined everything. And I think. Charlie's really battling. I, I, I honestly believe, I think Charlie is really ba battling the idea that he's done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I've said this before, I can't say who, but I've got a source very close who tells me that Charlie is 100% convinced that he is innocent and this extortion plot is real. And I am starting to believe, uh, John Delatore, that he's got O.J. Simpsonitis, as I call it. Um, do you think he's convinced himself? Is it? I think, you know, I, psychologically speaking, after someone commits a crime and he's been convicted now, um, is there a way that the human brain can convince yourself that you are, in fact, innocent? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people talk about cognitive dissonance. This is holding two opposing ideas inside your head. Humans are capable of doing this. Well, how? How can we have two opposing ideas? 
right? The ideas for Charlie would be, I'm a good brother and I'm a murderer. Um, so the two opposing ideas, how you, con you compartmentalize them, right? You make it so that one isn't as strong or as powerful. I'm a murderer, right? You push that to the side and you put in your mind, I'm a good brother. And the only way that this guy in his mind with the idea that I'm a good brother finds himself in jail moving towards prison is that all of these other dominoes had to fall to push him into a place in order to make that decision. So at that point, you have actually convinced yourself that you have engaged in this, in this, whatever it was, you've engaged in this thing out of, you know, happenstance or, you know, duress or something like that. Mm. Uh, this comment here has been made a bunch. I think it's interesting from Sage Lake. Uh, the comment from yesterday, Charlie is a periodontist is used to talking nonstop while the patient is forced to listen and unable to interject could be why, why he doesn't shut up on these calls on um, this one from LJX. I'm trying to get a hold of them. So these calls, by the way, are not public record. Gigi McKelvey is a great journalist. She's got sources. Um, I'm working, talking to some people. Uh, these calls won't be released, at least not through the sheriff's office, uh, the state attorney's office, that could be a different story. So uh, I'm trying to get Donna's calls. I have not seen them yet. Uh, from JM, Charlie should uh, be saying, what are the chances that I dated the ex-girlfriend of the man who killed Danny? Uh, Julie Grant, another great question. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I like what JM is saying there. JM is thinking, I like it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Basically, Charlie Adelson is saying all the wrong things unless he wants to get his sister indicted. And I think he does. I think he's mad because he stuck his neck out. When you think about who had the most to gain from the homicide, it's unquestionably Wendy. And, and if you really dig into the divorce and the custody battle, everything that, that happened leading up to Danny Markelly, uh, Markell's killing, uh, you see that this killing didn't just happen in a vacuum. I mean, this was, think of the nastiest war in family court you would have, you know, and, and this was kind of what was going on. I mean, Dan Markell had just asked the court uh, to make sure that Donna can't have visits alone with the grandkids because she was filling their heads with hate about how stupid Danny was and that he was trying to take the kids away. When Wendy initially told him she was leaving him, she just up and left, took the kids and left, had the divorce paperwork there. I mean, so this, this was a nasty situation and Wendy was at the center of it. And I think it was just Charlie had the Catherine McBanawa, cooperating Catherine McBanawa connection to, to make it happen. And we know that this plot was put into motion in 2013, which was long before Danny Markell was killed in July of 2014. So I think Charlie is now upset that he took the fall and kind of had to fall on the sword for the whole family. And so I think he wants Sister Wendy right there with him, Joel. Hmm. Uh, Gigi, I promise I'm coming to you, but another psychological question popped up from Yala. Charlie is double speaking here and seeking validation from Donna about Wendy's BS, right? Uh, what do you make of that, John? And also just kind of this mother-son relationship. It seems um, sort of dysfunctional, but I'm not one to talk. But go ahead, John. Yeah, it, it does seem a bit dysfunctional for sure. And it does seem it, it does seem that Donna has a clear favorite in Charlie. And so it when I hear the two interacting with one another, it does come across as if Charlie needs reassurance 
that everything that is happening is happening for a reason, that everything has happened for a reason. And sometimes he's going to get upset of that it hasn't happened his way because I'm pretty sure he's used to things going his way. But I also think he's used to things going his way because his mom made it so. And so I, I, I do think he's looking towards his mother to be to have the reassurance that it's all going to be OK. And his mother, I think, is more than willing to do whatever it is that she needs to do in order to make it okay. Uh, is Carm going tonight? Yes, she is. She wouldn't miss it. The diva will be there. She loves <laughs> to be in the middle of the action. I'm, I'm picking her up and I'm taking her out there. Gigi, uh, we're going to get back to the tapes, but uh, I got an interesting email from McGilla reading, which by the way, that is something you read on the Jewish holiday of Purim. And when we have a show that I don't love, which is rare, Steve Cohen, otherwise Meve Moen, will call me and he'll say, not every day can be Purim because it's sort of a fun festive holiday, which is a funny thing. So comes full circle with this commenter. But this person says, and I don't know whether McGilla is a female or a male, says in the jail calls video and gives a YouTube time from your postings, Charlie discusses how they only had to convince one person in 12, that's a direct quote, in order to hang the jury and achieve a mistrial. He then says, and what I found to be a disturbing and perhaps telling statement, and this is a quote, the guy with the brain who was a white professional. That's how Charlie describes the juror. The guy with the brain who was a white professional. So McGilla wants to know what you think of this. Uh, is it bordering on racist? Does Charlie only think that the white professionals knew what was going on, uh, knew how to decide this case. And let's say the African-American women on the jury had no idea. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, because he did make that comment about the two women. And I mean, to me, that's kind of what it stood out to was that he was just assuming based on race or profession or maybe just how somebody physically looked that maybe if that guy's in the same caliber of professional uh, jobs as Charlie, he would see it Charlie's way. The other point I want to make too is I don't think I've ever heard of any hitmen who just say, hey, let's drive from Miami to Tallahassee, kill a guy and cross our fingers and extortion works. It's not how it works. I mean, like that defense to me was the most laughable thing ever. Hitmen don't work that way. Yeah, 100%. Um, just to follow up on this um, comment about the guy with the brain who was a white professional, John Dillatore. Um, McGilla goes on to say, this seems to reveal a hidden belief that the white professional juror had more brains than others who are of different races and socioeconomic backgrounds. A very disturbing, pot potentially revealing statement. Do you agree with McGilla? Sure. Uh, yeah, I have no problems uh, agreeing with that. I think it's a sentiment that is probably a little bit more pervasive than I think a lot of people would believe that it is. But it is something that has long since been in the mind of some individuals who believe that they have privilege over others. And John, the other day, uh, Monday, whatever day today is, I think it was Monday, my, my little boy had a, a bad cough and my wife was every five seconds, check on him. Is he okay? Is he okay? Check on him, check on him. And I was checking on him. By the way, the next morning he woke up without any cough and demanded to go to school, which he did. But uh, what do our guests think about Wendy never being frantic about the safe, safety of her boy? She's never in a panic about it. Um, you hear Donna say, well, you know, it was just, she thought a tree fell. It wasn't a big deal, but what do you make of this? If anything? Uh, I think that there is definitely something there though. I don't know 
if it's a lot there. The problem the problem is is that I have no idea who Wendy actually is as a person. I think a lot of who she is is probably masked by a lot of other things. Um, but it is certainly possible that in a high stress uh, scenario in which you are uh, solely focused on one event, that it is possible that you're not thinking about all the ancillary things that would encompass that event. So in the case of the police interview, it's really just a conversation about what happened to Dan. And so I, I, can, I can envision a scenario in which someone doesn't think to ask about their children because of the high anxiety and, and high levels of distress. But the problem is, is that I don't know that she's someone that actually experiences high levels of distress in that way. Because there are a lot of times, and, and Julia and I talked about it yesterday morning too, there are a lot of times when she seems to include information that would be almost irrelevant. Like, like how are you able to recall some of these this, this information if you weren't rehearsing that you were going to be saying some of this information to police? Uh, that's a really good point. And, and a lot of people, like the rub against Charlie in his trial, and I was there for it, was he was too smooth. And he says on the call, one of the calls we just played, how he was so prepared. Um, well, he was almost, again, too smooth where jurors feel that it was rehearsed. Um, from Teresa here, question to Julie. Which piece of evidence is the most important against Wendy, either from the police interview or on the stand? Is there something in particular that stands out to you, Julie Grant? A couple of things. Uh, Teresa, great question. Uh, so what's interesting is Wendy struck up this deal with prosecutors for immunity so that they can't use what she said in court against her. But that's okay because that was all the stuff that she prepped with her lawyer on. The most telling piece of evidence is her interview with police. I, I do think a few things are really important there. Uh, the fact that she's going by the house the morning of the murder, uh, to me, that's huge. Um, when she didn't have reason to drive by and she gives this weird explanation, as Dr. John said, she's talking about buying alcohol, how the clerk commented on her blue eyes, uh, how she's out to lunch with friends, how she happens to have a repairman working on her TV. Prosecutors member called it the alibi TV. And even if she did have a repairman there when her ex-husband is being gunned down, it doesn't absolve her from criminal liability. So I think that is really huge. Um, the other thing that I think is probably one of the, the worst facts um, with Wendy, uh, you know, is that she tries to get police to look other places in that interview. She, she tries to implicate Danny Markell's new girlfriend. You know, she raises suspicion with her. She tries to shield Charlie by saying, you know, if you ever want to know his whereabouts, he works all day long, works, works, works. So I think Prosecutors and police have a gold mine to play with. Now that they know everything they know, I don't think they need to worry about what she said on the stand. It wasn't all that helpful. I think they go after what she said initially and the things that she did and didn't do. I, I, I think they will be able to nail her, especially given the context of the divorce. You know, one uh, thing too, Julie, uh, not to interrupt, but I kind of did, but sorry. Um, you know, I, I had a counter when I was doing the backstory on this. I think it got up to eight or nine times where she says... I understand why I might be a suspect. It's like she's trying to drive into this investigator's head. I'm not a suspect. Like, I'm telling you, I understand you might be looking at me, but she's constantly looking for validation from that investigator. No, you're not a suspect. Like, maybe just in her own way to ease her mind. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You know, and I thought the best thing she did was turning over her cell phone. And I was thinking about it last night. I was going... 
she turned over that phone. I thought, wow, that really, to me, that says something. That's a good fact for her that I'm certainly acknowledging. And I'm telling my, I'm talking to my fiance about this, you know, and, and, and he goes, well, she might've had another phone, Julie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, these people are rich, rich. You know, there may have been four or five phones going, who knows, you know, and that phone might've been destroyed, um, before uh, police ever really started looking hard at her. So I, I think uh, Wendy, her day's coming. <laughs> That's it. I, I'm gonna, I want to circle back to ask you uh, in a little while how soon that day is coming. But just a quick yeah. reminder, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern, we're back on this with a really eclectic, interesting panel. We've got Richard Gabriel, who's one of the leading jury consultants in the entire country. He's handled the biggest names, Phil Spector among them. And uh, we're going to ask him, what does this portend for future uh, trials in this case? If Donna goes to trial, if Wendy goes to trial, what do these calls mean? And then we've got a prison warden coming on, which is wild, uh, to talk about what's going to happen with Charlie. Why do people talk on these calls? Um, someone asked in the chat um, if um, Charlie thought that the calls were, were not going to be recorded once he was convicted. It says on all these jailhouse calls, that you're being recorded. So unless he's really dumb, which I don't think he is, uh, he's got to know that they're being recorded. And then third, but not la not least, tomorrow night, we're going to have, uh, I believe, Darby Fox. We're trying to get her. Uh, she's a psychologist. So she'll come on and give us kind of the John Delatore angle uh, again on some of these calls. And we'll have new calls for you tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Let's, uh, here's a call. Julie Grant, you're an attorney. That's a little disturbing because it's talking about how Dan Rashbaum asked or told, basically hinted to Donna that it was time to leave the country. Let's listen to this. This is Dan, uh, Donna and Charlie talking about Dan Rashbaum, the defense attorney. Going to make a decision at some point. So after speaking to Dan this morning and knowing what they're thinking up there, I don't know if we'll make it out in time. I really don't. But Dan said. You might, or you might get all of it, get to the airport, and they'll stop it. And that could happen. It could happen. I don't know, but it's worth a try. It's worth a try. Um, Julie Grant, is this, pro is this a problem for Daniel Rashbaum, potentially? Ooh, Joel, that might be. Uh, it all depends on how much Dan Rashbaum knew at the time. It, it really does. You know, if, um, if he knew, uh, that she's a party to this, you know, as an attorney, you cannot facilitate in any way, any kind of criminal activity. And, and that would be obstructing justice or evading justice. And so if he knew now, if Donna didn't admit anything and she's just saying, Hey, look, I haven't been charged, right? Like I'm not charged. I'm free to move about the country. That is true. You know, you're not charged, so you can go. You're not on an ankle monitor. You're not, you know, somebody with a case pending. So it's it's a hard, it's a great question, Joel, and it's just a hard one to answer without knowing what Daniel Rashbaum knew. And, and I also said, don't oh, think I'm Donna's, oh, I'm sorry, Gigi. I was just going to say, I, I take everything Donna Adelson says with a grain of salt because I don't think she's trustworthy. And, you know, I think they would lie to save themselves. So. Uh, Sorry, I have a little bit of delay on my end. It was hard to tell oh, you were still talking, but you know, she does say what they're thinking up there, which kind of, if you put two and two together, maybe he got some wind that prosecutors were floating around the idea that Donna's next. 
Mm-hmm. Right up there in Tallahassee, right? Because Don is down in Miami. Yep. yep. And uh, by the way, these calls were all in the week after Charlie was convicted and before Donna's arrest. No one thought Donna was going to get arrested that quickly, but it did happen. And so some people are saying, hey, are they going to be talking? Uh, they're not going to be able to have contact with each other right now, which has got to be driving uh, both mother and son insane. Marianne Kipp, uh, Dr. John, Wendy is the true maestro. She's the only one connected to all the players. Uh, we got uh, Tato and Tuto, not Tito, I don't think, will not invade a house with children and avoided the first attempt. Wendy is mad that it did not happen earlier. Uh, what do you make of that? And uh, I tend to agree. She does know all the players. And would they ever kill the husband without her knowledge at all? It doesn't seem like this is the kind of family that wouldn't have talked about it beforehand. No, uh, yeah, I think some of that is true. And I, and I think it might go into sort of what I was seeing from before when it comes to Wendy's police interview. Because in Wendy's police interview, the emotions that I see coming from her seem genuine. And so if she was anticipating something like this happening a lot sooner, she's probably, you know, preparing herself for, for that uh, instance. And then it happens much later. And so it probably, you know, you let go, you, maybe you lose some of the intensity with which you are preparing yourself. So it's certainly possible that she could be the one that was the actual mastermind uh, I, 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 I think Donna is a little bit higher level thinking, uh, when it comes to this rather than Wendy, but I do think it is possible that, uh, Wendy was a little bit more sort of instigating them to do something on her behalf. And when it didn't happen the way that she wanted it to happen, when it did happen, she gets a little bit shocked by it. Hmm. Uh, for Michelle, back to Dr. John here. What do you make of Wendy's demeanor? I'm not sure if you watched the interrogation during her for first police interview. Seemed totally fake with high pitched forced tears. I know Julie just went back and watched it. John, did you did you check it out? Yeah, with Julie. Um, the, uh, I disagree when it comes to uh, fake and force. The problem, see, but the problem here is this. The problem is, is that someone can have genuine emotional experiences, and I don't know where those emotional experiences are actually coming from. Like, I don't, I, I, just because someone is crying doesn't mean that, oh, all of a sudden I think that they're, you know, in shock and disbelief. I, 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 I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that the emotional experiences that she had seemed to be consistent with what she was, with the, with the situation at hand. But that doesn't mean that she was having them because she was totally and completely innocent. Instead, she could be having them for a completely different reason and still come across. Crying is crying, right? Being sad is being sad. Where it comes from, though, is, is a completely different story. And we need to talk more to Wendy about her emotional experience. Because, like I said, there were also some times when she seemed to just be more rehearsed than would be anticipated giving the emotional distress that she was experiencing, that she was giving off during that interview. Uh, Mish Cavernos, our friend in Cape Town, South Africa, uh, they could use these jail calls as a form of torture, um, like waterboarding. So we'll have to keep that in, in mind. Um, Aquamarine Aqua Blue says, Wendy didn't think she was going to get caught going by the house. 
a police officer actually recognized her car and he testified at the trial. Uh, so that is pretty damning because why would you be by there? You got to ask that question. Why in the world, uh, way out of the way, would you be going there? And she claimed she was going to a liquor store. It just doesn't uh, make sense. So to that, uh, Julie Grant, back to your uh, supposition that Wendy is going to be uh, eventually charged. Um, just in a, in, in a sentence or two, why do you think that again? And, and how soon do you think this could happen? Would Donna's trial have to play out first? Oh, so to answer your latter question, no, uh, it wouldn't have to play out first. Uh, if I had to predict, I think Wendy and Harvey will be joining Donna as co-defendants in 2024. I really do. Um, and here's here's why. So legally in the state of Florida, where we are for this case, in order to have a conspiracy to commit a crime, you've got to have an agreement uh, between the parties, just an agreement between one or more people uh, to commit a crime. And then you have to couple that agreement with the intent to actually commit it. So everybody doesn't have to do everything, right? Some people can be totally hands off. It's just like we call it the, the meeting of the minds. You have to have the criminal mind and everybody's got to be in agreement here. Um, and to me, uh, this was very clearly a problem that centered around Wendy. This was Wendy's problem. And it definitely affected the grandparents because they wanted to see the grandkids. And it was Wendy who despised Danny Markell. And this woman has the gall when she's being interviewed, when he's literally dying in the hospital to try to paint a picture to the detective that he's an emotional abuser. And that when people hear about the shooting at, at their house, her former house, people are going to think that she's in danger. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is so insulting. I think what investigators need to do is take the little pieces of scattered evidence, put them together. There is certainly enough to show that she was part of this agreement. She even is the one who implicates Charlie when she says, I hope someone wouldn't do this on my behalf. My my brothers joked around about hiring a hitman. Yeah, not a joke. You told your ex-boyfriend, Jeffrey Lacoste, that your brother uh, was exploring every possible way uh, in order to take care of the problem, including a hitman. And it was said with seriousness, not in jest. So, um, Joel, I do think that it could be any day now. I think it could be, I was wow. I'm saying on my show this morning, I think that, uh, you know, or yesterday, maybe I said it, I think that it could be, you know, she might think it's Santa and the reindeer landing on the roof, but really it's knocking, not from hooves, but Miami-Dade police with a warrant for her arrest. This is from Santa. <sighs> Merry Look, I, I hope it's not before I go to Canada selfishly because it will ruin my trip. I won't be able to go and the COE will hate me. Um, John De La Torre, um, I was just going to ask you a question. And since I'm in my early 50s, I just forgot it. I'm catching this from uh, my mother, the senior moments. And it was an important question. It will come back to me. Uh, Harold, anything but dull, though, has a comment here. Charlie whines about the jury. Five black women, black guy, one redneck. Gigi shaking her head on that one. Uh, three, guys, all this. <laughs> <laughs> three guys who look like they've never been with a woman then says his peers are white, successful white guys in their thirties. John, a lot of people have described Charlie as kind of being like a dude's dude, you know, like a uh, frat boyish. Uh, this is a little beyond that. This is um, more like a racist. What, how do you read into this? Yeah, it seems pretty racist. I mean, at, like, I don't, I don't think there's any subtext here, right? I think he's he's giving you an insight into what he thought was going to happen, that if 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 the jury was all white guys, that he'd get off. 
he, 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 there's no subtext to this. I, he's not a subtext guy. Number one, he's 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 not he's not someone with any depth to him. Everything that you see is who he is. He's very superficial, and so uh, it, it's it's I think it's pretty clear to me that the, that he holds racist thoughts. Uh, John, I remembered what I was going to ask you. Everyone knows my biggest fear in life is going to state prison I, and federal prison, but probably state is worse. Um, what is it like? And I asked this question yesterday. When you're someone like Wendy Adelson and every second of your life, every minute that ticks by, you're wondering, are they going to arrest me? I'm at my son's basketball game. Are they going to arrest me? And I have a, a couple of sources telling me that, believe it or not, at Ben and Lincoln's basketball games, there are undercovers uh, in, in the uh, stands keeping an eye on things. So um, they're being watched. Uh, there's no doubt they're being watched. What kind of agony is that for Donna and Wendy, right? Uh, for Harvey and Wendy right now? Uh, I think it depends on their level of narcissism, right? If they think that they've escaped from this uh, unscathed, to, to, so to speak, if they don't think anything is legitimately going to happen, if everything seems to just be supposition, uh, then they're probably just moving on with the rest of their life uh, just as they would. I think... Only the person that recognizes that they have actual shame and guilt, right? The only, only the people who experience those things would actually be concerned that something was going to happen to them. And, and they would do everything they can to not get caught anywhere. So what, what their behaviors are, if they go back to life as normal, then we know that they're so narcissistic that they believe they, they've skate, skated on everything. Uh, Miss Wielasi, come to us from Scotland for Gigi. Uh, Gigi, can you please show us your ears to prove that they have not melted after going through all these tapes? Thank you. What a star. Uh, followed by Jennifer Sube or Sube. Julie is my favorite person in the whole wide world, even more than Santa Claus. Um, oh, so don't worry. Love, love you. <laughs> Dr. John and G and I aren't, we're not offended. Don't worry. Uh, Gigi, <laughs> this tape's for you. We're talking about uh, the word y'all, um, which I love when you say. Here we go. Y'all, put on the southern accent. Like, y'all, right. use your common sense. And she came out like all folksy and sweet and southern and really put the Tallahassee charm on. Y'all, use your common sense. So, I got up there, I did an awesome job testifying, I told what happened. But, like, your common sense is that if the chick shows up at the murder scene, his ex-husband, and she benefits from it, she has to have known. Nobody drives 17 minutes and shows up someplace by accident that day. The truth is that happened. But, like, it's one of those things that, like I said, so what are the chances of her leaving her house? driving to go down that street an hour after it happened on that date, on that time, you would have to be like, what, one ten thousand? So two things are going on here. He's harping again, Gigi, about the coincidence with Wendy. Can't seem to get that out of his mind. We can ask John if he's a little OCD about that. But he's also uh, taking shots at Georgia Kappelman for the y'alls and uh, bringing out the Tallahassee charm. Does that irritate you personally, Gigi? No, it really doesn't. I don't care. It's just really obvious he's trying hard to put on a Southern accent. And it's, it's, you know, he's not even succeeding. But the bottom line is this. 
if he wants to say something bad about Southern people, go ahead. But I'm going to tell you right now, I know some people that didn't even finish high school that can read people and tell when they are full of BS and they're not an attorney. They never went to college. You know, you, you just kind of dumb down the jury thinking because they're sort of in a conservative area of Florida that they're just a bunch of country bumpkins and really try to get something past Southern people when you're a jerk and we can write, we can read right through you. It's, it's just a thing. Southern people will call people out when they're being fake and saying, yeah, you know, you call us stupid, but here's what you are. Nine times out of 10 is right. By the way, I always thought bless your heart actually meant bless your heart to Alec Murdoch. And then I learned it's, it's, it's too, know? you know, it can be used like if your mom's in the hospital, bless her heart. But also if I think you're stupid, like Charlie, bless your heart because bless you're your stupid heart. and you don't know it. In Jersey, we just, it's forget about it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. um, Maya Rodriguez Sorensen. I love when Gigi says y'all, but I love when she says anything. Silky, smooth voice. It makes me wish I had a Southern accent. You should uh, hear me when I'm mad, Joel. I mean, you want to talk about the redneck coming out? It's like freaking another level. Hey, next time you yell at your kid, please have, her, have your kid record it for me. Uh, <laughs> if Charlie was on the jury, he would have convicted himself uh, with exactly what he said. That's it. What do you make of that, Julian? What do you make of this call? Yeah, I, Charlie's delusional, isn't he? But he says, I did an awesome job testifying. I'm going, you think? I thought you came off guilty as heck, made no sense. Uh, you know, when he talks about the extortion plot, which is just, quite frankly, it's absurd. It is absurd. Gigi touched on this. You know, you you mean to say these two guys rent a car, put their lives on the line, risk prison to do a homicide that would benefit your sister and you and your family, you know, and then just, then they call you up after the fact, oh, will you please pay me? No. Like this guy very clearly has lived with a silver spoon in his mouth, doesn't understand how the streets work, doesn't understand how gang culture works. Uh, you know, it was laughable, his testimony. So I do think that he thinks he's untouchable, that he is lying to himself, believing his lies, kind of Murdoch-esque almost. You know, mm. I, I didn't hurt Maggie and Papa. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you mm. did. You murdered them. Just like mm. Charlie Adelson procured uh, those hitmen to murder Danny Markell. Delusional. So crazy. Papa Bear again in Moscow, Idaho. Sort of a psychological question here for Dr. John. I think Charlie keeps talking slash blaming Wendy because in his mind, Wendy is the complete reason, root of the problem, in quotes. Without Wendy and her post-murder choices, he believes he'd be free. Do you agree with that, John? I do. Yeah, I do. I do think that because once again, there's no subtext. There's no depth when it comes to Charlie. He's not thinking abstractly about, well, I mean, yes, but you didn't have to do any of these things. You could have supported your sister through her divorce and through that custody battle without actually having said anything about hiring a hitman or actually hiring hitmen or being involved in murder of any kind. So it's like, you didn't have to do any of those things. I think he only sees the ramifications of the moment, right? He's not looking past and looking back at his decisions that he made that put him there. He's only looking at the decisions that other people made that put him there that weren't his own. Very, very good distinction here. What about the condescension in this call about sort of saying, hey, George Kaplan used the word y'all and these Tallahassee people. Um, look, I said it before, I'm from New York, New Jersey. There's no one that thinks that they're 
cooler than New Yorkers and New Jerseyans, more more so New Yorkers. There's an arrogance. I think there's a bit of an arrogance in uh, Miami. But what do you make of that, um, of his kind of condescending tone? I mean, it's par for the course, isn't it? I mean, he's he's once again coming from a place of privilege. People from that place will denigrate everyone and anyone. It doesn't matter if they even look the same, right? They will find a way to denigrate that other person if they don't work on that person's behalf. And it's clear that because the prosecutor decided to you know, do the job that she was hired to do and did it successfully, that somehow that she was somehow worthless or or pointless or whatever, whatever nonsense is going on in his head about why she was communicating the way that she w- was. Shout out to KCL from Salt Lake City. She's all over uh, this case and the Shanna Gardner case. Um, I don't think she's a lawyer, KCL, but she might as well be one because she knows a lot about all these trials and cases uh, going on. Uh, there's another tape here. Uh, let's listen to it. There's two more. This is uh, the third, and uh, we'll break it down. Here we let me get rid of this comment first, and then uh, let's play it for you. Almost fucking identical to Tallahassee. Good job, Lily. I got to so take this back. Here we go. North Florida State. He got two boys and the town is an imaginary town. The town's almost fucking identical to Tallahassee. Good job, Lizzie. You're foreshadowing. And it's a small stop on the way to civilization. I think you never planned on living. You thought you were a fellow. Like, showing, you know, showing up at the scene of the crime. Yeah. That's why it was open with that and it was closed with that. Because you got to have a real good explanation for that. Yeah. And her explanation is weak. Uh, so we can replay that if we want to, but Julie Grant, to you, um, Wendy happened to write a fictional book that mimics a lot of this about a professor and murder and this town, Hiawassee Springs. And so he's talking about why the hell would she write this book? And then goes back to the whole coincidence thing. Um, He just can't seem to let go of Wendy and what Wendy has done to him at this point. You're right, Joel. I haven't read the book, but maybe I will. That might be my next uh, homework assignment on this one, because I I am convinced that this woman was part of this conspiracy with her brother and with her mother and with her father. Um, And the only one I don't believe was involved was the other brother who really doesn't get mentioned and doesn't have any contact with uh, his family members from what my uh, colleagues at Court TV have related to me. So here I think Wendy's biggest problem is Wendy. She's getting herself caught, essentially, with that first police interview, with her action of putting herself at the scene. Um, you know, and also when we look at, at the filings and in what, what was at stake here? I mean, there was lots of money. There was a family heirloom uh, that was at stake. Uh, there was the children and their lives, essentially, moving with the parents. I mean, she tried to just go with them. And when that didn't work and it was litigated, I mean, I think it's important to remember she was losing very badly at the time, really losing this case. And so I think with that context, I think Charlie's mad because he's the one who got caught first. But now I think it's going to be his calls with Mama Donna 
that are going to seal the deal with Wendy and Harvey. And to your point, Joel, I do believe, and I haven't heard this from any source reporting. This is just based on my experience, you know, serving in a prosecutor's office. I have no doubt that the Adelsons are being surveilled. I, I have no doubt. And there are probably prosecutors right now, as we're talking, who have the headphones on, nice. sitting in their office, listening to those jail calls, taking notes and working in tandem with the detectives on this in order to to build that case. And uh, I, I think they've got enough. I, I think maybe before the new year, maybe a New Year's Eve uh, wow. surprise. We'll wow. Get that, Julie, scare me. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> uh, forward to a few days off. Uh, Gigi, what do you make of that call? Um, I was going to. Should I play it one more time? Let me play it one more time. Let's play this one more time because I didn't really set it up. Uh, let's take a listen to it together here. So the Huntington professor at North Florida State. That's the book. He got two boys in a town, an imaginary town that sounds almost fucking identical to Tallahassee. Good job, Willie. You're fortunate. I'm a small stop. On the way to civilization, lately you never planned on living. You thought you were a problem. Like, showing up, you know, showing up at the scene of the crime. Yeah. That's why it was open with that and it was closed with that. Because you got to have a real good explanation for that. Yeah. Man, um, he's really going after this small town mentality, putting it, but also simultaneously really dumping, dumping it all right into Wendy's lap. Listening to this now, uh, and I listened to it earlier, but listening to it again, um, I'm starting to think for sure that Charlie is going to flip on Wendy. But Gigi, what do you make of this call? Yeah, I mean, because all he's doing in this call is really finding every way that he was found guilty, aside from the fact that he was the guy that had the connections. So it's blame, it's the blame game. It's Wendy because she showed up. It's Wendy because she wrote a book. It's never Charlie because he dated Catherine, who had kids with Sigfredo, had that connection. So to me, it's just deflecting. It's just trying to justify that he still did a good job on the stand, according to him. His story was solid. So therefore, let's blame Wendy that I was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. And Dr. John, what do you make of that call? Yeah, it, it, it is definitely, once again, he, he shows no real insight and only sees where the problems are coming from rather than dealing with whatever issue he needs to deal with. So it does come across as if he is finding all the reasons as to why Wendy is the one that should be in prison and not him. Uh, Tiaz to Julie, it's a a lawyer question here, playing devil's advocate, does the panel think his sentence, meaning Charlie's, is justified based on the fact that he didn't actually pull the trigger, but he commissioned the crime, right, Julie? Oh, that's right, Joel. Yeah, Tiaz, that's a great question. Uh, it's really smart because you think, well, okay, is he the most culpable person? And under the law, uh, he's equally culpable. He doesn't have to actually pull the trigger. If he's part of the conspiracy plot and he arranged and procured through Catherine McBanawa these hitmen to take out his former brother-in-law, even if he wasn't there, uh, it's still murder in the first degree under the law because uh, he used someone to act on his behalf, essentially, is how this went down. Hmm. Uh, Debbie Martin says uh, Wendy's book is now 67 cents on Amazon. I don't know if that is true and accurate or not. By the way, 
I cannot believe it's happening, but my book is going to be uh, published out Father's Day. But I just got word from the publisher, pre-orders are going to be available sometime in early January. And when that happens, trust me, I'm going to let you know. Um, they only print a couple. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank wow. you. They, they only, it's, it's a surreal experience. My dad wrote a book, so I always wanted to write a book. Um, and I'm learning all about the book publishing process, which is fascinating. But they only um, publish about 2,000 books in advance because they never want to take a risk. So I would like STS Nation to um, step up and scare the hell out of the publisher that they're not going to be able to print enough copies. But I'm going to let you know when this is a bad turn of phrase here, when to pull the trigger. I'll let you know when it's going to happen. And uh I will let you know when to order the book, and I hope you will. I think it's a really not only an important story, but uh, it's got a lot of humor, and it's got, I think, a lot of depth, and it's it's all about Carm and her take on the world. So, um, and there's not a lot of survivors left. So, I think it's uh, an interesting read, and I hope you'll uh, check it out when we do. Um, do you think Charlie is delusional enough to think the family will be re reunited in prison? John, I'm going to let you take that one. I, I don't think that's what he's hoping for. I think he's delusional enough to think that he's going to get out. Do you think that, John? Yeah, I would, th I would think that part, yes, that, that he's more delusional that he's going to get out, that somehow something's going to happen and law's going to break his way and he's, he's going to get out. But uh, reunited, in, I, I don't know that this family does things for reunification the way that most people would define reunification. Um, someone was asking about, you know, everyone who's convicted always has an appeal. Does Charlie believe it, Julie? But from Mar Plum here, if uh, Charlie would appeal his conviction, what are the chances he could request a new trial based on the evidence submitted in the jury comment? Would this affect Donna's trial in any way? Um, okay, so it, it all depends on what the grounds are, uh, because you're right, Joel, we hear all the time, people who are guilty as sin, as soon as they're convicted, well, I'm going to take an appeal. And I always think to myself, oh, okay, good luck with that. Uh, because you have to have proper grounds. There has to be something that would result in the higher court saying this has to be reversed, you know, because of the unfairness that's so fundamental to our laws. So absent, absent that, absent something really wrong legally, uh, no, he's, he's going to stay in prison. Uh, but let's just say for the sake of our analysis, he finds some grounds that are very valid for his appeal. Okay, so let's say then, let's say he's granted a new trial. Here's what the, the state prosecutor's office can do. They can join him as a co-defendant with Donna. I know that's what I would do. I would say, well, come along on mom's trial, Charlie. You two can go together. Uh, and I would try to add in Wendy and Harvey, too, and have the four of them off to the races together. So, uh, Julie, here's, an, here's another question that's in your wheelhouse from Marianne mm -hmm. Nizio. Julie, my fear is this all blows up over who Rash is representing. That's Daniel Rashbaum. Uh, he can't be everybody's lawyer. Can you help me feel better about what I think? So he was actually Donna and, Char and Donna and Harvey's attorney originally. And then uh, there was a talk, talk of some conflict. Is there a reason to be concerned here uh, again with what's going on? Uh, because obviously Donna sounds like he's talking a lot to Rashbaum. Right. Yeah, that, that's a great point that Mary's raising here. And so it all, like I was saying before, we don't know what Rashbaum knows, um, who he's repping. So it all depends on whether their defenses 
are united or antagonistic to one another. Like if, if they're all going to go, let's say, for instance, with the hitman extortion defense, you know, then they'd be united. And the judge could go through the process of having them, you know, uh, explain, you know, their right to independent counsel, waive that right. And, and he could essentially rep them all if he wanted to. Typically, we when we see co-defendants join, they've all got their own counsel. And that's the best idea because there are always things that, you know, you can help preserve your own client's interest in where someone else's interest might be a little bit adverse or someone does something that's implicating. So, um, yeah, I think if they were all to get joined in that scenario I was describing, let's say they all forego, I would see them all four as having their own lawyers. I think that's the only smart way to do it. Um, here we go. Charlie can't stand that Wendy is still free, followed by this comment from Kaylin. And this is this is pretty crazy. I mean, essentially, unless Charlie is called to testify in Donna's trial, he will never, ever get to see or speak to his mother ever again. And he was used to speaking to her daily wild. Uh, that is assuming that Donna will be convicted, which many people think she would be. Obviously, if she's acquitted, they'd be able to talk. But that is a crazy thought. Um, Gigi. So Megilla, who sent me this email, uh, point number two, we sort of discussed, but I don't think we got your take on this. And I'd love to get your perspective on all the calls. Megilla writes, Charlie is continually shocked that he was convicted, but he never, ever says that it's because he's innocent. Rather, he expresses shock at his conviction, despite the fact that he, quote unquote, had a great case and did, quote-unquote, a great job testifying, or, quote-unquote, that there wasn't enough evidence. Um, is this just a narcissist who refuses to believe uh, the reality around him, Gigi? I think partially, and then I think if you look at the dynamics between Charlie and Donna, it's probably a situation where Charlie was never held accountable for anything he ever did wrong growing up or even as an adult. So that carries on into other you know, I'm not a psychologist, but it seems like that mentality would just follow you in every situation you're in. I think when parents don't hold their kids accountable and call them out when they're being bad, it just creates this, you can't touch me, I never do anything wrong mentality. And so when things catch up to people and they actually have to pay the piper, it's a total shock because it's new, it's never happened. And I think that's really a lot of what's going on with Charlie. Uh, very well put. Uh, from Teresa, back to Julie here. Uh, would or could these calls, jail calls, be used in court against Wendy? Would they be effective too? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so here's what's interesting. It's it's it it helps give them a better picture of what's happening, and then maybe be able to approach Donna to talk. I, I think Donna and Charlie are the biggest threats to Wendy right now. More more of a threat than the prosecutor's office because they hold a lot of power. They know what really happened, and I think in the interest of self preservation, um, they, they are shocked. I mean, think about this family. They're living the life of Riley. They're not used to prison and jail. This is stunning. It's upsetting. So what it does is it it allows these investigators to take the call and to approach Donna, for instance, and say, hey, you made these comments. Like, let's talk. Maybe we can work out some kind of a deal um, where you can save yourself if you just let us know how much your daughter knew and, and was she part of this plan. And so it'll kind of work like that. And and then there are also um, different exceptions, not to get too in the weeds, but with the hearsay rules um, where you can kind of maybe creatively weave those calls into your overall case, depending on which ones they are and what's being said. 
Uh, super sticker from Bill Davis. It's ironic that Charlie thinks that the jury was stupid because they convicted him when only a complete idiot would have bought his ridiculous extortion defense. That's a good point uh, from Bill Davis. Uh, interesting question here for Dr. John. Would Charlie do this to his nephews, I mean, throwing Wendy under the bus or maybe wait until they graduate high school? Do you think Charlie is thinking about his nephews at this point, John? No. <laughs> no, there's there's no evidence to support that he's thinking about anything other than what would make himself happy or make his mother happy. Right. This is the only two people that he thinks about making happy. Anybody else, he kind of just does because he feels as though he's obligated to do so. But he's not thinking if he was thinking about his nephews. He never would have done this from the beginning. So, no. A super sticker. From Heather N. here, RIP Grandma Bonnie, this y'all talk, bringing back happy memories, December 20th, 98, support grandparent rights. That is what Ruth Markell is fighting for uh, with the Markell Act, which she had enacted in Florida. It's complicated, though, um, and it still doesn't give the Markells, uh, and by the way, Wendy changed the boys' names, the grandchildren's names to Adelson, which is kind of crazy. Um, so it doesn't, uh, the law does not permit the Markells to get, you know, the 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 rights to see the boys as much as they would like. There's complicated aspects of the law, which I don't understand. We'd have to get a, uh, a legal mind in here. Um, but it is what Ruth Markell is fighting for and part of what uh, she'll be talking about uh, tonight live in Sunrise. Gigi, do we know that I think it's five plus hours, if not more. But Charlie wants to know how many total hours in jail calls are there I've got to do laundry at some point, LOL. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, Charlie. Um, the, the, on the log, there are over 500 calls. And I got 68, 69 files. So I'm not sure how many hours, but it's way less. And I really haven't found many past the ninth. So you're still looking at four days before Donna was arrested at the airport. There's a lot missing. And that might be for very good reason. Maybe as these you know, days tick by and we get closer to them leaving, there's a lot more incriminating stuff that they don't want to release and keep in their back pocket to, you know, not show their hand. But um, hopefully more come out. But yeah, I still have a lot to go. I'm not posting the ones with Charlie talking to his son. I just feel like that little dude's a victim. It's sad. It's very clear. He loves his dad. I know the, the baby mama had to take him to court to get insurance and child support, but it does seem like that relationship improved over the years. And it breaks your heart to hear this little kid just, you know, so excited to talk to his dad and, and knowing, you know, that Charlie kind of does cry a lot when he talks about his son. But, you know, at the same time, Dan Markell just wanted to be a dad to his kids. And you, you took that opportunity from him. So I don't feel sorry for Charlie, but um, man, those with his son really will, will rip your heart out. By the way, I'm just looking, I got a bald spot on this tree back here. Holy moly. <laughs> Don't judge. I'm not an interior decorator, y'all. But yeah, I just, um, I, I wanted to say that because I know on my one of my last episodes, I talked about he wasn't doing his job as a dad, but, you know, he talks about one specific moment where he's out at dinner, they're having sushi. Clearly Donna Harvey, uh, the mother of his child and his child was there. And he said that he kind of knew the walls were closing in. That's sort of what he said without saying it. And he talks about really cherishing this time with his son and just taking it all in and taking videos, because I think at that point, he knew his time was coming up. But yeah, very sad for the, all, the, all three of the boys. They've given, the adults in this case, have given these kids a weight to bear for the rest of their life. And it's just tragic any way you look at it. 
It's the only Christmas tree in America with male pattern baldness. Yeah. Gigi. You better, I'm just you being all inclusive, Joel. Yes, you better fix that. Um, from Allie, um, John Delatore, this is the $64,000 question. Why? Why would you go and kill uh, your sister's uh, husband? They don't even really know and don't care that much about. Uh, so the question, so do you guys think Charlie's motivation for killing Dan was primarily done to appease Wendy? Or is he trying to please his mom? Why do so many of these guys have messed up mother-son dynamics? John Delatore. Uh, yes, sure. <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it's it's not that complicated, right? This, this he is definitely now. Now, who is he trying to appease more is definitely his mother. Now, that's that's true. But when it comes to you know, why do so many of these people have messed up mother-son dynamics? What other messed up dynamics are there, are there going to be? Father-son dynamics? They're just as messed up. So, I mean, it's it's not like we're finding like wholly unique that if you have a messed up family dynamic that you're going to end up being super narcissistic and antisocial. Right? That's not what we're saying at all. It's just that some of these guys take it to an extreme. And here he is just absolutely needing to be uh, beatified. Right. He needs to be a saint in his mother's eyes and, and he'll do whatever he can in order to do that, which includes right? Trying to do this thing because his, uh, you know, his sister once said, I, I want my ex dead, which again, is something that exes say all the time. He just takes it to an extreme. Mm. Uh, Brianna, Joel just put Wendy's book on clearance for 67 cents. People here are correcting me. It's actually, I guess, $67 because there's so few copies and people want it. So um, that's crazy. I don't know who would pay 67 bucks for that book. I definitely wouldn't. Um, you're the lawyer, Julie. What'll, what's going to happen to yeah. Charlie's practice? He's already lost his yeah. license. I know that. But all his personal property, I assume his uh, father and sister are picking it up and doing something with it. He's got his girlfriend living in his house. And if you guys didn't see it, we did a Adelson South Florida family tour. We took you to Charlie's house. That's on the YouTube channel, which is kind of interesting to see where he lives because it's not what I was expecting. Curious to see if you think it is. But Julie, what happens to all this? You know, this is tough because I don't know what assets he has, what could potentially be attacked here because uh, there's civil liability he's looking at here. You know, the Markel family could go after him civilly and I hope they do uh, and I hope they're successful. And so uh, there's a lot that's hanging in the balance, right? Because this is a practice that was jointly owned, as I understand it, with him and his dad. Uh, Harvey, as I understand it, still free, able to practice if he's not retired. Uh, so he may need to manage things now. Uh, may need to buy Charlie out. Um, I don't know what they do with that money, but I do know that Donna, and she even said it in one of the jail calls, was hard at work, you know, putting everything in trust for those grandkids because they were contemplating, this is really sad, but contemplating a suicide plot or the plot to go to a non-extraditing country uh, to evade uh, what they thought would be the charges coming. So I, I think Charlie is going to have a real mess, a legal mess on his hands and he's going to need another lawyer, a civil lawyer to hash out all of that with the business with, I, I, if, if he's a, you know, a good guy and a caring parent, you know, he ought to get it all lined up for his kid because I don't think he's getting out, um, alive really. I think he's going to die in prison. Mm -hmm. Uh, Julie has to go soon. Love having you on Julie. Thank you. COE for letting me know that Julie, do you have to jump? 
Oh, I do. You know what? I have a doctor's appointment at two and I have to drive about 25 minutes to get there. Um, but I, thank you so much for having me on, Joel. I'm going to order a copy of your book and I'm going to tell uh, everybody I know they need to put it on their uh, their list for 2024 reading. Please, so, please. Uh, it's, uh, I, think it's, I think it's important reading. And uh, your friend Vinny Politan wrote a blurb for the book. The guy's awesome. Oh, did he? Yes. Oh, that's so good. Yes. I didn't even know that. Oh. Yeah. Guys oh, well, are, please come on when you have, you know, uh, yeah. it's time to promote it. Come on. Opening statements. Well, yeah. All right. Oh, I'll take you up you on so that. Much. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate it. And Dr. John. Uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas happy to Merry you Christmas. All. Happy holidays. Let's hope if anything happens to Wendy, it's after the first of the new year. So yeah, exactly. I want you to get your holidays in. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Again. Thanks for being on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye. Uh, one, so there's one final piece of sound I mislabeled here. This could be redundant. Don't be mad at me if it is. Let's listen. I'm going to take a look. Yeah, same one. Miss, I, I mislabeled that. Um, put it in there twice. So, um, Gigi, this guy literally can't stop talking. Um, are you through? How much of these are you through? Are you all the way through? No, not yet. And I really what I'm doing now is just double checking and making sure that I'm I'm trying to post in chronological order so they make sense. But I have found some that were earlier that I have missed. I'm not sure how many I have to go. Honestly, Joel, I'm sitting here looking at all the files. I'm trying to label them as I go because they weren't labeled. So we definitely have some more to go. I'm going to try to get a couple of more out today and uh, keep them rolling, maybe one or two a day. It takes a little bit of time to do each one. So I'm trying to free myself up a little bit to finish my Christmas shopping and all that. But we have a ways to go. And I was looking, somebody asked, are there any pre-sentencing or any like pre-conviction? These calls start on the 6th, which is the day of his conviction at, I'm doing my finger math, at about 6.40 p.m. So nothing prior to that. And then the last calls go... Uh, December 1st, there's a lot of calls after Donna gets arrested that are very lengthy that aren't included. They go to December the 1st at about 1.26 p.m., but a lot of hour-plus calls after her arrest. Man, I'd love to see those. Who's he, who's he talking to? Do we know? Um, it looks like Harvey. Um, and then I really haven't put the phone numbers side by side, but it does look like Harvey a little bit. And then I, I really haven't done the homework on that, but that's a good point. I'll do that. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious because yeah. uh, he's not talking to his mom. He's not talking he to Donna who he burned her phone up for sure. Yeah. And I don't think he's talking to Wendy. So no. Wendy, Wendy has said, uh, my lawyer advised me not to talk. Um, someone's asking, we lost the lawyer now with Julie, but can Charlie give up Wendy to save his mom? I think anything is on the table right now, but what, uh, prosecutors are, are willing and able to do is unclear. I've heard a lot of savvy lawyers say there's no way they're giving Charlie a deal, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see if that's the case. Um, here's a super sticker from Margaret from Dr. John, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, did she ever ask to go to see Dan to be with him while he was dying? Remember he was shot July 18th, 2014. He didn't die for hours later, uh, you know, till the next day on the 19th. Uh, they had a bitter divorce. Would it surprise you in any way that she didn't ask to visit him, uh, John, even, you know, despite the circumstances? Uh, well, 
Yes, yes and no. I, I do recall in, in her police interview video when the the investigator is telling her that he's in the hospital, she does ask, you know, is he alone, right? That's not the exact conversation, but she does bring it up that, that she recognizes that Dan was alone in the hospital. She doesn't say that she that, that that's where she wants to go, um, but it wouldn't... Either one wouldn't wouldn't be surprising, and I wouldn't read too much into her either asking to go or not asking to go, despite whatever uh, problematic relationship that they had or how their relationship ended. Um, I I do think it is telling though that she didn't go just to go, like not like just being told no, you can't be here or something like that. I think it is telling that she just didn't go at all. Uh, Gigi from the COE, by the way, here's a super sticker about emails. You've also been posting, uh, on your YouTube channel, uh, emails that you've been posting any particular one that stood out to you. And we've got a super sticker here from Nico Hutton. Uh, thank you for, for that. Uh, any emails that jump out? I don't, I don't know that I've posted emails about this account, uh, this, <laughs> this case. COE, get your facts straight, COE. No, no, no. I'm just saying it's pro it could be my brain, y'all. It's The Adelsons have done a number on this <laughs> up here. I'm telling you right now. Um, did I have some emails? Maybe, I don't know, but it, there's a lot that stood out to me on the calls. I'll tell you that much. Hmm. Uh, for those who don't know, now you know America's most famous psychologist, Dr. John Della Torre. Uh, he's on Core TV all the time. He's on STS. He actually told me he, he loves both equally. He's a... Uh, he's, very fair in that way. Uh, Robert Adelson, he's an estranged son of the Adelsons. He is uh, the doctor in the family, not the lawyer, but the doctor, not the periodontist, but the actual ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, I'm the black sheep in my family. Robert Adelson is the golden child. What about the fact that they've got this estranged son that they haven't talked to in years? What does that tell you, John, and your final thoughts today? Um, I think it depends on where the estrangement comes from. If Robert is someone who recognizes the dysfunction in his family, then it's probably that, you know, he was able to extricate himself from the enmeshment that is that that entire dynamic. Uh, but it's also possible that if he's a doctor, like he's probably a, he could also be estranged just because his hours are terrible. Right. And he doesn't have time to interact with them. So it'd be interesting to get his take that I don't think he's ever going to give on his family. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons was the estrangement was when he fell in love while doing his residency. It was with someone who wasn't Jewish. She was of Indian descent and they didn't approve. And so mm -hmm. he broke up with her, married somebody who was Jewish. That was very quickly annulled. And then he got back with his true love. They have kids now. So I think really just maybe a little taste of how Donna and company could ruin his life and not really think about his happiness was enough for him to be like, See ya, I'm out. I'm going to do my own thing and be happy without feeling guilty for it. That's kind of my take on it. And mm -hmm. good for him because he's avoided the hot mess express for sure. This is an interesting question, which I will answer. Do you think Wendy is crazily trying to build a defense against the phone calls? She's an attorney. I think it has her worried. I think her, her attorney uh, is looking at them for sure. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's what we talked about earlier. They're, she's looking over her shoulder, as is Harvey. And uh, probably rightfully so. And I can't imagine, I cannot imagine the agony um, involved with that. So uh, it's it's uh, pretty brutal. Um, I'm just looking at some of these other comments. For those who do not know, Gigi McKelvey, 
is the rock star of podcasting with her uh, podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. As I've said on YouTube, this is all her sound. She's putting it on there. Please support her. Please do that. Please support me too when my book comes out. But don't worry. I'll be bugging you about that probably too much. And Carmel will tell me to shut up. But please go to Gigi's YouTube channel and uh, support her. Listen to all the audio there. It'll probably distract you. Uh, you probably won't be able to buy Christmas presents. Your family might hate you and it could come full circle and it could be disastrous. But you should still listen to the audio tapes regardless. Um, yeah, at this point, my kids are wearing clothes that are like two years too small. Because I haven't touched the laundry in like four days. <laughs> um, it was awesome. Gigi, I am so fried right now. Did I just ask you your final thoughts on all this? No, you didn't, but I'll tell you. Um, yeah, I think it's do. just a matter of time. I mean, this is so clear. It's 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 laughable, this whole dynamic between Donna and Charlie. But I really think at the end of the day, if there's anything Charlie might do, it's going to be getting to his forever home. And starting to feel really mad that he gave up a life with a woman every night, a Ferrari, millions of dollars a year, probably for a situation he really didn't care about. Why would Charlie care where these boys are? What did he do? He made mama happy. And so that might make him bitter. And I think if anybody's going to flip on anybody, Charlie's going to flip on Wendy because he's in prison. She's out living her best life. And that's going to eat him away. And I think that knowing that his sweet mama is now uh, suffering the same fate as he did by being incarcerated at Leon County Jail. I think it's going to be too much for Charlie, and I think he flips on her. So we'll just see. Maybe not when you're in Toronto, but yeah, and I think the has no timetable, so you might have to do some stuff remotely, Joel. I don't want to correct you, Gigi, but it is Montreal because I know oh, you know sorry. what people in Toronto will tell me. It's They're all great. Montreal and Montreal will yeah. tell me it's not the same as Toronto. Patreon. We were talking about how much we love Canada yesterday, so. Canada is awesome. Um, but we did have a guest on yesterday. You said there's, for some reason, a lot of contract killers in Canada, which I didn't need to know um, prior to going. Um, I thought Canada was basically crimeless and very sophisticated, but who knows? Uh, Patreon members, please DM us on Patreon and send us your YouTube username ASAP. Thanks. I don't even know what that means, but I read it. Anyway, uh, love you, America. Love you, Texas, where I think John is, right? I uh, yeah. love you, South Carolina, and love you, uh, Europe. How about all of Europe? So I cover everyone. How about the continent, Australia, everywhere that I've missed? And, uh, of course, Tallahassee, Florida. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. 
And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.